Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, welcome to The World As It Should Be, a new podcast from the team who bring you the Prima Donna Festival and the Prima Donna Prize. The festival brings together writers, editors, poets, comedians, performers, musicians, foodies, happy creative peoples of all kinds to share experiences, explore ideas and imagine new possibilities. We call it the world as it should be for one weekend. But what if it could last for longer than a weekend? In this podcast series, we'll be asking brilliant people, some of whom you'll know, some of whom you might be meeting for the first time, how they'd create their world as it should be. They've all got one thing in common. They're doing something amazing with their work. They're breaking down barriers and they're making people think. And hopefully they'll do that in this podcast too. So before we meet them, my name is Shona Abianka. I'm a book publicist with EDPR. I'm also a proud prima donna, one of the 17 who founded the festival in 2019. And my name is Catherine Riley, and I'm the festival director and also a prima donna. It's my job to make the festival happen this summer so we can see you all in a field in Suffolk in the sunshine. The world as it should be from Prima Donna. So we are so happy to welcome Kit Duval as our first guest on The World As It Should Be. Kit is a novelist and a short story writer. Her debut novel, My Name Is Leon, was shortlisted for the Costa First Novel Award. And her second, The Trick to Time, was longlisted for the Women's Prize for Fiction. She's also the author of YA novel Becoming Diner and edited Common People, an anthology of working class writers. Her latest book is Supporting Cast, a collection of short stories featuring the lives of secondary characters from her previous two novels. Kit is, like Catherine and myself, one of the founders of the Prima Donna Festival. Welcome, Kit. Hello. Great to be here. Hi, Kit. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's a treat to get to talk to you. Um, So before we get to our discussion of your view of the world as it should be, we want to set the scene for how things are in your actual world right now. Um, First things first, can you tell us what you're working on? Um, I'm working on um, a couple of things, but mostly what I should be working on is my memoir, um, which I'm slightly overdue with. Um, And it's... I'm probably about halfway through that and I keep forgetting to work on it because I'm working on lots of other small projects that are just easier to tackle. So I'm doing a little bit of procrastination, Um, doing a couple of essays and I'm also writer in residence for the University of Limerick. So I'm doing some teaching as well. So busy, busy. Yeah, busy. So where are you in the world at the moment? I am in dead centre in Middle England. I'm in Lewington Spa, uh, slightly smug town, uh, but I quite like it here. It's um, it really is in the in the middle of England. I, I was born about five, ten miles away, actually, for my sins. Um, so I've sort of come home. Um, it's a Regency town, very very beautiful, and I'm sitting in my flat near my garden uh, which is about four foot square Um, I'm sitting in my office which I love actually I love my office it's got brick walls and it's got typewriter nailed to the wall and um, it's lovely I I love it in here and in the other room my son is sprawled out on the sofa 
feeding one by one some um what are they called those sweeties uh haribos you've been seeing haribos yes I've, i i confess i've seen that your writing room on zoom in, in on zoom meetings in the past and i'm i envy it massively envy yeah, it's it. lovely it's very lovely um so you write in your house you don't have a writing shed or anything like that no, no, I used to, and then I moved. In fact, the, the writing shed was a disaster because uh, my brother, who's a designer, built it for me, and it was so, can I swear? Yeah, it was oh, so God, yeah. fucking perfect that <laughs> I didn't, I, I couldn't work in there. I'd go in there, I'd feel, immediately feel like a tramp because I wasn't wearing mid-century clothes. Um, and I'd sit there and it was white. He, I mean, he was just being really, really kind and building something that looked Instagram ready. It was beautiful. I didn't do a stroke in there, not a stroke of work. Um, so I'm very, very glad to be in my slightly untidy um, office, which is just bears all the hallmarks of me. And that was just too L decoration. It was just never going to be me. Was he offended that you don't use it? Oh, God, no, he couldn't give a shit. I mean, once he'd built it and I'd paid him, he was off onto the next project. He really didn't care. And he just took loads of photographs for his website. I mean, that's basically what it was for. You know, it was just something so he could sell more of them. <laughs> so this, this brings me on to a really important question that I'm going to be asking everybody on this podcast which is it's about like organising space and stuff like that. And my question is, how do you organise your bookshelves? Collar, completely. You, madness. Uh, I, Kit, I, absolute yeah. madness. Uh, no, really, I cannot be asked with... I mean, I hate the look of something that's too perfect for a start. And I, if I'm thinking about a book that I want to read and it's on my bookshelves, which are enormous, I think, what's it look like? I don't think, oh, where will I find the S's? I just think, oh, it had a picture of a, you know, oh, it was a penguin, it was orange, or it was a vintage and it was blue. So I very much go by looks. And also, I, don't, I, I like to have an excuse to look at, you know, a look, look at my book, bookcases anyway. So I'm just not that organised. Fair enough. Lisa, Milton, wow. Lisa Milton's a colour, colour scheme advocate but I, I, I can't, God, can't get down with it. I'm not at all. I love, I love how they're all different colours on my bookshelf and I have to kind of search oh, for the book I want. I, I like the look. I mean, when I say colour, it's all blocks of about two feet, so a block of orange, a block of red. It's not, you know, like wow. you've seen them where that they merge. You know, it's the blue merges into black, merges into grey, merges into purple. No, that is, that's anal. <laughs> Mine are just like 12 blue there, seven red there, a couple of white. It's not perfect. Oh, my God. Kit, I, I've known you for a, for a while now, and I did not expect you to say colour. Yeah, no, totally, always. Excellent. Yeah, And I, I also wow. absolutely love the fact that it drives people mad. I mean, that, that would be a reason <laughs> all of its own to put them in colour coordinated. Now, we do know that about you. You yes. do like driving people mad. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> if I could, I'd have, like, an actual Dewey Decimal system in my own house. <laughs> <laughs> That's how anal I am. 
brilliant. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Kit, for painting us a picture of where you're at right now. Um, let's move on to where you want to be, or rather where you want the world to be. So can you tell us about the first thing you'd implement in order to create the world as it should be, according to Kit the Bowl? My first one uh, would be borders. Getting rid of the borders between countries the world over. So can you talk us through, have you thought about like the logistics of it <laughs> at all? Because... Um, no, I'm, I'm going for fantasy straight away because it will <laughs> never, enough. ever, ever happen. Um, so I think borders uh, breed, I mean, obviously they're, they're a demonstration of nationalism. Uh, um, you know, a hard, you know, every, every hard border, every passport control, every time we go anywhere where you say you're now entering Norway or whatever, that's a demonstration of nationalism. And obviously sometimes it's completely harmless. And other times it leads to wars. You know, you have the war like there was in um, Chechnya and uh, somewhere in Georgia where, you know, we're going to try and get that part of the earth um, as Russia or Georgia or Scotland or whatever, people actually still doing power grabs. I can remember the um, time I was walking through town. I was I was uh, working in the city centre and I was walking through the city centre when I was 20 or something. And I saw the announcement that Britain, sorry, Argentina invades the Falklands. And I thought the Falkland Islands was in Scotland because it just sounds Scottish. It does, yeah. So I remember walking through town going, fuck me, the Argentinians have sailed to the, you know, the Orkneys and they've invaded an island. How outrageous. And, you know, it's good, good afternoons horror that the Argentinians were doing. And wine, I was thinking, oh, it's got to be North Sea oil. And I'm just coming up with this whole scenario. Then I discover, <laughs> oh no, this is Great Britain who must have at some fucking point sailed to the other side of the world and decided that this outpost, this island where there's only sheep, is going to be called England, is going to be Great Britain. Mm -hmm. That kind of bollocks drives me mad where you can have countries or areas that completely are next to a country, but they're owned by someone else. And that's colonial. It's a demonstration yeah, of colonialism yeah. still. Yeah. It's a demonstration of power. It's a fuck you to those countries. Work That's ours, not yours. We're going to speak English here. We're not going to do that. And I think it's extremely harm, harmful. And the only way that we could get rid of that is if there was no Great Britain, France, Germany, Italy, uh, Afghanistan, Turkmenistan, Syria. You, I mean, obviously it would take probably 500 years for people to forget because we're, we're so tribal. Um, but I do think they are, they do more harm than good. I, I, I agree with you. Um, however, it's my job as a podcast presenter to, to push this, um, explore it. With yeah. you. I totally agree with that idea of like just a man going, sticking a you know, I, or rather, I disagree with the idea of a man going sticking and flagging something, saying this is ours now. It's been, yes. it's, it's, it's such a sort of, yeah, it, it pushes, it pushes at a very primal kind of, yes, yeah, problematic thing. So, but, but, what would you say to the argument about like, uh, which is kind of what we have in this country in lots of political discourse about, well, if you, you know, if borders don't exist anymore, everybody's going to migrate to the same fantastic places, like. 
for some yeah. reason, the UK or, you know, the U- US, North America, um, and resources there will be drained and, you know, the, the world will tip on its axis because all the humans will be in one particular area. Um, yeah. How do we counter that? Uh, first of all, if we uh, had, if, if there were no borders, there is nothing to stop industry and um, great systems happening because you'd have a universal sort of government, sort of federal government. And there's nothing wrong with Slovakia or Romania or poorer countries that have no investments. There's nothing to stop people living there either. So I think one of the reasons it it is that people would flock to the seemingly wealthy West is because the West doesn't invest and doesn't help countries that need helping. Whereas if they were our fellow citizens, in inverted commas, our brothers, we would invest in those countries. We'd have a different attitude to people on the other side of the world. The other side of the world doesn't matter to us now, especially a country that has nothing going for it. I mean, oil-rich countries, yeah, we really care about it. Somewhere like Florence that's, you know, beautiful to look at, we really care about it. But actually, there's lots of corners of the world that are inherently beautiful, with beautiful people in there, but we can't get anything out of it, so we don't invest. We would invest if there were people out there that we actually gave a shit about yeah so do you see there being some sort of like global council that will be in charge of everything that would be lovely i mean i I know i know this is fantasy but yes it really would be um if there could be a a global federation of people that looked fairly if there are such people that look fairly across the totality of the world and not just the hoarding of resources mm-hmm. that happens in, in the affluent West, ignoring other countries that just haven't got the same opportunity because the West took every fucking thing they could do out of many, many countries, brought it home, including manpower, including talent, uh, and drained that country of anything it could and then said, oh, now you can have your independence. We've got everything we want. Thanks very much. It's a convincing argument. I've just got one more counterpoint to it, which is um, what about duty-free? Yeah, that's a massive problem, I have to say. (laughs) I'd say say that problem probably dispels my argument completely. Um, Duty-free is a very important facet of life. And I think in view of that, I'm taking that back. Let's keep keep borders, keep duty-free. More borders, build more walls. It's a huge saving, and I think we've got to put that first. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> uh, thank you. Shona. So, Kit, what was your next, um, the way that you would change the world as it so, should be? Very similar to Get Rid of Borders, um, have a universal language. So this is, I mean, you know, obviously years ago there used to be this thing called Esperanto that um, originally the people that invented it, thought you know we all have our own language and then we all learn Esperanto so that we all have a common language as well as the language that you know we were born with and I don't know what happened to that and I'm quite sure it was a disaster Uh, and there's lots of reasons why it didn't happen but I think there is so much lost in translation there's so much um, that we can't say to somebody that we want to Uh, and I know my sister lives in Norway and when she moved over there, she said she just for many years looked like an idiot because she had one way of saying, thank you, I'm fine, I'm hungry, um, I like you, I don't like that, 
that's quite funny. So she was saying, you know, there's only there's no nuance in another language unless you are really, really adept. You have no nuance in, ex, in expressing yourself. I think if we all did have a sort of Esperanto uh, language that we could learn really, really well, as well as our own language, it would get rid of some of the barriers that there are between us. Okay, so you mean have a universal language as well as our own languages? Yes, I do like... So not just I, one? No, 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 right. no, I think as well. I, I do like the differences of languages. Yeah. I love to hear different languages. I love it, love it when you hear a three-year-old yeah. do that thing of, you know, talking to one parent in one language, and I, I just love it. Um, but I do think, you know, I, I learned French very badly at school and I know a smattering of German and I can ask for white wine in Spanish um, but um, I can't really make myself understood in any other language and I would I would love to, to talk to someone uh, in another language and I think that would be a good way be a way of us all coming together yeah do you why do you think some people are kind of able to pick up languages so easily because I mean I'm bilingual but that's because my parents spoke a different language yes. at home when I was younger yeah but when I learned French and German at school it was just a disaster yes totally. so what 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 is it that can make the difference um in your obviously obviously I think learning something you know when you don't know you're learning it is obviously the best way and that that's like learning a language at home and I know my so my mother never spoke Irish, but my father spoke Patois, West Indian dialect. You can't really call it a language. And it's only when you get older and you re you do that code switching thing. So if I'm speaking to black people, even if I sound like this, I'm using a different vocabulary. I'm losing, using a different sentence structure. Um, my voice completely changes. And the more embedded in the black community I am, the more that language will change. And then I might go to Dublin and I'll do the same thing where I've got a different sentence structure. I've got a different way of saying certain things or asking for something. Um, and I think that's because I learned that stuff before I knew I was learning it. I learned it accidentally. I think when you sit down in a, a classroom scenario where you've always got the fucking swat and you've got the bastard teacher you know you're not gonna I'm not yeah. gonna ask for you know the pencil from Jane in French because I feel yeah. like a crap. <laughs> so I'm just not gonna do and it and the cat yeah I know do you remember I, I remember the sentence the cat is on the television in German class and I just thought why are we learning this I'm never gonna say this yeah. well the, the 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 pen of my aunt la plume de ma tante you know why are you ever gonna say my aunt's pen ever 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 in English no you're not um so it it becomes meaningless for me that's it's very similar to maths because I hate maths where I don't care about 4x equals 3y. I don't care, so I'm not going to learn it. And, and lots of language, the way we learn language, I think is, is really bad. Obviously, the best way to learn language is to go and live somewhere yeah. and learn it because you actually have to ask for bread, milk, something to eat. You know, it's, it's a better way of learning. In your borderless transnational, you know, universe where yes. the world's, yeah, where, where we'd all 
be in the same kind of global country and we could all speak the same global language. Yes, and I think, there's, like I say, there's nothing wrong with also having French and Italian and German and Japanese and everything. Uh, because you know, we are tribal people. We do like to belong somewhere. Um, but also just have this other place that we can go to as well where we can speak uh, a different language and speak it really well. Speak it so that we can be understood and we can have some nuance and we can crack a joke. And, you know, just, mm. just some other way of, of smiling. I mean, emojis are a great language that, um, you know, that transcends language. Because, you know, you can put an emoji and it can be understood all over the world. But one question I had, I found it really fascinating when you say that you adopt a different, you know, the way of speaking, whether yes. you're in Ireland or speaking to your father's relatives or, you know, um, is it either one of those that feels more comfortable to you or are they both just equally part of you? It's uh, completely equally part of me. Um, I'd say, I mean... Also, you know, from speaking to a Brummie, from speaking to my brother, my God, you should hear my voice. In fact, what's really interesting is my children, if they came in from school and I was on the phone, they knew who I was speaking to, not from the content, just because of the register and the vocabulary. So, you know, my, bro my son might say to me, oh, can you tell Dean that so-and-so? And he just knew I was talking to my brother because I had my broadest Brummie accent on. Um, and I don't know I'm doing it, I have to say. Uh, occasionally, occasionally I will be aware that I'm doing it, but not very often. It's just the company that will tell me how I have to speak. So it's so hard not to swear. Yeah. <laughs> I do, I do. I have got foul language. I quite, I quite like it, and I don't try not to. But I had to do something for the BBC the other day, and I was like, Literally put a note on my computer, do not swear. <laughs> sometimes it's just the best way to express something, only, isn't it? Oh, God, only one way sometimes. I mean, there is nothing better yeah. than the, the perfectly poised fuck. You know, it's just it's yeah. just it sometimes. Yeah. But also in different languages, actually, going back to what you were saying, yeah. I know there are some swear words in my Indian language, that just don't translate. There is yes, nothing yes, in English. Absolutely. Do you find that sometimes you think of a word in Patois, for example, that just yes. nothing else will do? Well, there's, there's a, a thing which most, I'm sure you'll both know, uh, which is, you know, kiss your teeth. So this sound. Now, that sound yeah. can mean, you bastard, I love you, isn't that great? That's terrible. Who do you think you are? Cheeky bitch. It can mean anything you want it to mean, depending on where you use it and how you use it. And only another black person will know when to do that. And when, but if you've done it in certain circumstances, you're going to get your lights punched out. If you've done it in other mm. circumstances, the person's going to burst into laughter. So, you know, there's no translation. There could never yeah. be a translation for kissing your teeth. <laughs> have you ever done it at the wrong time or at the wrong moment i've done it to my dad once and only once and uh, yeah never again never again it's very very rude if you do it to mm. a, a parent or an elder really rude you right just not do it i learned that when i was about right. six <sighs> oh ouch yes ouch <laughs> 
Oh, well, moving on from that pain, what is your third and final way that you would make the world as it should be? Um, I would get rid of gender stereotypes. And that sounds like such a um, small thing because we are trying, I think, uh, I think most people would like to get rid of gender stereotypes. I just think it's never been more important to give people the freedom to be who they are and express their gender or gender identity in any way they choose. I often see um, children particularly, or girls I'd say, more girls, who feel they've got to be a certain way, who are so oppressed by um, media in how they've got to look and be thin and wear makeup and do their hair and get their tits out or whatever it is. You know, and I just think, where's that come from? I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm quite certain it applies to men as well. And, you know, having to be strong and silent and butch or fighting or whatever. Um, but I think it's such a harmful thing that we are still in the 21st century so far away from solving. Maybe it's even worse than it was. I don't know. Um, but the pressure on all of us to be young, thin, you know, women, particularly fluffy, nonsense uh, to, to have children I mean that's a real pressure on women yet to, to be a size 10 yet to have a career and be looking at have a fantastic home and to have something to say about the fucking Austrian fennig as well as how to make nice bread you're like hang on a minute <laughs> hang on a minute do you know what I mean I'm just yeah. leave me alone to live my life the way I want to live and I think um I've got a daughter who's 25, 26, actually. And she's not a girly girl. She works with horses. She's constantly covered in horse shit. Uh, she doesn't like clothes. She doesn't wear clothes or anything. And she just gets grief about it. And I see that even, you know, her age group, there's still so much pressure on her to conform. Um, it's as bad as it ever was in my day. I think it's worse because, and I think it's worse because um, because of the kind of corporatization of everything that happens from even before a child is born. You know, you have you have the the, the photograph on your on your fridge and on your social media feed, and everything that you everything that is saleable now to children is a commodity that somebody will try and monetize. And I think, like when I was a kid, it was sort of all right for me to just be a tomboy, and that is. Now, that's just a, that's like an anti-gender role that's just but it was it was totally allowed to be that one of the reasons it's worse is because we have the ultimate oppression of the internet where when i was 16 there's no such thing as the internet you know what what yeah. influences i had of course i had the tv and i had pop stars i had magazines not many of them because couldn't afford them and then just the people that you saw now I can see the world, thousands and thousands, millions of images a week about how I'm supposed to look and what I'm supposed to know and have you got those hair straighteners and have you done this and have you done that? Who was on your bedroom wall kit when you were a younger person? Uh, well, we weren't allowed to have oh, any pop stars because we were Jehovah's Witnesses and so idolatry was banned. However, <laughs> I would say... My, I said Bob. By the time I was fourteen, it was Bob Marley. But pre-fourteen, it would have been David Cassidy if I'd been allowed. 
or David Essex. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Hot. Yeah, I mean, wow. So My bad. sister had David Cassidy. Actually. Yeah, David mm. Cassidy. He really was bad. He was pretty as opposed to handsome. He was a pretty guy. Yes. David well, was slightly yeah. more rugged. <laughs> that's true although in my teenage bedroom we had two posters that were the same which is ridiculous because I shared a bedroom with my sister and we both had the same poster of Michael J Fox <gasps> but on no, different walls Michael J Fox I know oh David Cassidy come on you can't say what David oh, Cassidy oh I don't know no. yeah no no I couldn't ever. no I'm sorry no. but it was David you know nice wins. nice tasteful red jumper oof that's and uh so, you know, my parents asked us why we had the same poster on two different walls. And we were just like, well, that's hers and that's mine. So, <laughs> so funny. My, I had a sister who, who liked Don McLean. I mean, do you know who Don McLean Ooh. is? Who's that folk singer? Oh, she was, I was just like, Yeah, what? American Pie. Yeah, I mean, he was never talking. He, he wasn't bad. <gasps> oh, he was bad. I thought he was bad. We used to tease her about. I mean, there are worse. Yeah, yeah. For a nerd, he wasn't bad. I, I had a really confusing mix of. Um, obviously, I was dealing with some sort of stuff. Jodie Foster and Stefan Dennis, who was uh, who was in Neighbours. <laughs> in some Neighbours. No one even fancied in Neighbours. Oh my god! I know. Oh my god! The one who did that pop song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Jodie Foster's absolutely gorgeous yeah absolutely i think she's stefan dennis no absolutely not no i'd i mean i'd go for jody now i think i've made my mind up yes Mm. (laughs) but even the fact you went for stefan is worrying (laughs) worrying worrying. give me that um Um, going back going back to the, (laughs) the gender stereotypes thing how do you think we could do it do you have any thoughts about like what do we get rid of social media yeah um, I, well, I mean, with social media is going nowhere, is it? So I think um, I think empowering more people to be outspoken. I think we are getting there in lots of ways. In that you do have people in prominent positions um, coming out about who they are, being uh, living alternative lives, alternative what people alternative lifestyles. I think uh, as those of us that have children and everybody letting our children know that it's okay to be who you are and forge your own path. Just giving that message as early as possible to as many people as possible about claiming uh, your own space in the world and and living your life as far as possible. It's not always possible for people, but as far as possible to live your life in a way that only has to make sense to you doesn't have to make sense to Kim Kardashian or anyone else. It just has to sit well with you and make you feel whole and good about yourself rather than constantly mm. comparing yourself, feeling negative about who you are, your colour, your shape, your size, mm. and really just embracing all the bits of you that perhaps to other people don't make sense, but to you make perfect sense. Mm. Brilliant. Can I just go back? I want to ask you another couple of questions about the universal language thing. So, I, and I wanted to relate it to, to like books and writing because obviously we're going to have lots of people listening that are into them. Um, so, um, I wanted to think around about like if could there be a universal language in books 
following the same idea that like writers follow universal themes do you think that would work so are there and 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 or are there forms of writing that wouldn't make sense outside of the specifics of for example the english language so could you have a comedy of manners in a that is so interesting i've never thought about the written word although obviously if we had the esperanto a level then perhaps we could (laughs) Uh, we could have books written in that language. I don't know, and I don't know. Just like Shona said a minute ago, there are certain things, some things that are hard to translate into another language. Um, Who is it? I know the Greeks have got, I think, seven words for love. So they've got, you know, there's the love between, uh, let's say, parents and child, love between friends, and it's an actually different word. Um, So I don't know if it would work to have, unless you had a language that was so rich that it could convey all these different things. Mm. I don't know. I mean, it'd be lovely, lovely thought. Yeah. I wonder if it would take away the joy of being in a mood for a certain type of book, if that makes sense. So when you're on a holiday, you know, maybe like me, I would read more commercial fiction on holiday, whereas I, I, I read a lot for work. And I enjoy it, but that's more serious nonfiction. So I yes. wonder whether that joy would be taken away or... Yes, I mean, I'm, I'm sure. I'm a, I don't read a lot of book in translation. It has to, I used to. Um, I can remember reading a Polish writer called Isaac Bashevik Singer. I, I used to read a lot of, in fact, I read probably most of his stuff. Um, I've got no idea what it was like in the original Polish, but I don't read nearly enough... Um, books in translation to have a feel for any other country's literature I know that it's uh, like for example some African literature is very different to English literature you know there's different ways of writing there's different sentence structure and different scenes and I just don't know enough about it I think Mm. yeah it'd be interesting to see how it would it would shake down yes and what difference it would make yeah yeah, and you wouldn't want we... to lose that either, would you? You wouldn't want to lose the richness. Right, I mean, exactly. the, the universal language should add to and not subtract. I mean, I, I suppose if there is the universal language, there's still nothing wrong with you learning French or German or whatever. Yeah. So you can still learn another language, but you'd also have this other sort of default language. Like if we, do, we don't understand each other, so we'll use this until I've learned really good French. I think people would be lazy, though. They would just go for the default, don't you? Oh, God, uh, yeah, absolutely. And the default is English. You know, and I think, you know, for yeah. most of the world, you can go somewhere and people will, you know, at least have a few words of English, um, which I think, you know, I, I don't like. I think that's just a hangover of colonialism. I think it's really a negative. And it's interesting that the other universal language is Spanish, another great colonial power. Um, and it's a real, um, what's the word, disadvantage for the countries and for the the people that don't speak English, which is, you know, unfair. Mm, Definitely. Yeah, and how did you find, you wrote, I mean, I know you've written Becoming Diner, which is your your only YA novel. Was it a challenge for you to adapt your language to that younger age group? Yes, I had to literally said to my editor, how many swears can I have <laughs> I'm glad to um and that was quite a challenge oh dear I'm really mm. upset 
you know, dusted <laughs> Um more more than that book, I, I wrote a book called Six Foot Six, which is a book for quick reads. And the Quick Reads project is run by the reading agency and uh, mm. they produce books for adults with adult themes, but written simply enough for vulnerable readers to read. So they're shorter, so that people aren't daunted by a fat book. Yeah. And the sentence structure is simpler and, and the vocabulary is simpler, but they are adults with adult themes and, you know, completely in every other way, an adult story. And that was more of a challenge than becoming diner to write this completely adult book in, you know, without, certainly without some languages, without some very elaborate sentence structures and perhaps some words that I wouldn't normally have used, I would have used a different word. And the way I got round it was um, writing it from the point of view of somebody that had a very simple outlook on life. So it was very much his outlook on life with his vocabulary. Uh, so that's the only way I could sort of get around that. So your character kind of saved you in a way and yes. helped you. Yes, definitely. I saw yeah. the world through his eyes and then used his vocabulary and his sentence structure so that um, I could make it suit uh, the genre, if you like. Um, well, your memoir, I didn't know you were writing a memoir. How did that happen? Um, I got commissioned to write it and, you know, I was like, yeah, great. Oh, yeah, I love that. <laughs> really? Really, will you, though? Uh, because yes. I'm having to write about, you know, first of all, I had to contact my brothers and sisters and I said, look, I'm going to write my memoir. I will not write about when you did that, <laughs> that or that. Uh, so I had to reassure them that this wasn't going to be an expose of their most embarrassing moments. Uh, it will be an expose of most of mine. There are some things I won't write about because they impact on other people. And I'm only going up to 21 because oh. after oh. 21, I, I so I got married the first time when I was 25, got married the second time when I was 32. Those people, you know, those ex-husbands are married with children of their own. I don't bear ill will to any of them. And I'm certainly not going to write about negative things about my um, children's father. So, and basically I got boring after 21 anyway, so. Is it mainly about your upbringing and yes. how your parents raised you as a Jehovah's Witness? Yeah, that kind of thing. So mostly about that and poverty. Um, mm. Growing up in poverty, growing up as a black Irish person, uh, growing up yeah. in a cult, obviously, and escaping from the the cult, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and then sort of coming yeah. to and deciding to stop taking drugs in my early twenties. God, we're going to have to have you back on the podcast, Kit, to talk about this. I don't even know where to start with that. You've, you've, left, you've left yourself room for some sequels, though, so that, there's, always, there's always an option. There is scope, scope yes. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, so my memoir will be published sometime, I think, early 2022. So I've got uh, a little while to finish it and get it, get people to tell me how to make it much better which people I really need, my editor will say, wow, that's not very good. Can you rewrite it? I'm expecting <laughs> to have quite a bit of that. 
<laughs> so as a, as a final comment from you, Kit, in terms of like the writing process, how, yes. what do you, how do you do it? Do you sit down and make yourself write a number of words per day? What's, what, what kind of, give us a little bit of insight that people can um, ignore or, or well, I never make Yeah, I never make myself write, never, because I've right. done that in the past and I've written utter shit. So I will feel the, the sort of urge to write, you know, I'll think, oh, gosh, yeah, that scene. I mean, I'm a, if, if it was a novel, I would plot it religiously. Um, because this isn't a novel. I remember scenes that I want to include. I've got a long list of scenes. Uh, and I also really want to make it funny. <clears throat> so not as, as grim as it actually was. So uh, I will write down sort of little sketches of scenes that I want to write about and then just write when I feel I've got something mm. worthwhile to say. Sounds good. Sounds easy. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. No, I can't wait to read that. That's amazing. I didn't know you were doing that. Well, I, I hope... Please come back on the podcast, Kit, to talk about it. I will, definitely. Yes, I'd love to. Great. Thank you so much for doing this for us today. I'm just very, very, very happy to speak to you. And just you. Any, just lovely. anyway. Yes. I, wouldn't, I would, wouldn't go so quickly, but I've got the Costa Awards. I was one of the judges, and I'm supposed to be looking in on them. It's a completely so. legitimate excuse. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we can't wait to see you soon. Yeah. We'll see you at the festival in July. Thank you so much for listening to The World As It Should Be. We hope it inspires you to work towards shaping the world as you think it should be. We want to thank Kit Duval for joining us this week. You can find out more about Prima Donna Festival by going to primadonnafestival.com. Tell us the bits you liked or didn't like about the podcast on our Twitter at PrimaDonnaFest or tell us how the podcast should be. We'll be back next time with another inspiring guest. The world as it should be from PrimaDonna. as it should be from Prima Donna.